Welcome to the Punters, mate, on SEN. Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 24th of February, 2023. And that means it's punters mate time. And it's great to be back in the chair after a one week freshen up. And of course, Sammy Highland did such a good job with a special guest last week. Sammy, good afternoon to you. Chris, uh, great to be with you on this uh, Friday afternoon and looking forward to a big weekend uh, of racing right around Australia, isn't it? Five group ones. Fantastic, isn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it come around quick? Like, I mean, dead set. We have a spring carnival, and then uh, you get through Christmas. Bang! It's it's here again. Yeah, Uh, and plenty of good horses about, which is good. And I think, uh, you know, the Queenslanders. They we spoke about how well they did throughout the spring carnival, and uh, they're doing a super job uh, this autumn carnival. It's great to see. Yeah, with. Scalapini winning, I was going to say shooting for gold, but Scalapini winning last week, shooting for gold, Uncommon James and Zoo style will all go around in the Oakley Plate tomorrow. We've got Skirt the Law going around at Ramwick. Can she measure up, Sammy? Yeah, she'll measure up. I think no so too. No problems. She will measure up, no problems. Uh, she's a jet, Skirt the Law. And uh, yeah, they'll they'll sit up and take notice after this weekend, I bet. I uh, We've organised Tony Gollan just later in the show, just for a quick chat regarding Skirt the Law. She only uh, went down to Sydney on the float yesterday, so we'll get an idea of how she settled in. Saw some video and she looked pretty good wandering around the place and having a good look around Randwick. So no doubt she's settled in well, but we'll check in with Tony. We'll also chat to Matt Hoisted later in the show. Of course, the, the Hoisted, well, the O'Day Hoisted stable, very well represented uh, in the Oakley Plate with Uncommon James and shooting for gold, as mentioned. And a lot of uh, good chances, too, at Doombin uh, tomorrow. We'll go through those. We've got a very special guest as well, Sammy. Really looking forward to chatting to David Raphael. Now, you know David. Uh, I've never met him, but I certainly uh, heard of a lot of his calls. He was calling in Hong Kong for, for 10 years, uh, late 90s, I think it was, to about 2007, I reckon that was probably the stellar period of Hong Kong racing. Yeah, no, he's uh, well, he's got uh, such a unique voice. It's a great voice for for race calling, isn't it, uh, David Rafal? And uh, yeah, he's uh, geez, called some some great races and some and some superstar horses. Uh, yeah, it'll be great to catch up with him. Well, he uh, is responsible for one of my favourite race calls, and that was the uh, the two thousand and one Irish Champion Stakes. So. We'll actually play that. I've got quite a few uh, audio grabs from uh, David's calls over the years. Horses that we know well, Sammy, Silent Witness, Fairy King Prawn. Is there a more Hong Kong name for a horse than Fairy King Prawn? Yeah, it is uh, <laughs> it is typical, isn't it? Typical <laughs> Chinese Hong Kong name, that one. Um, now, something that uh, cropped up during the week, uh, there's a certain gentleman uh, in uh, England that likes to be a little controversial, Matt Chapman. Yes. He likes to throw a few ideas out there. Yes. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but uh, he came up with an innovative idea that uh, it might be a bad idea if trainers can talk to jockeys during a race to discuss tactics. What do you think of that? Uh, interesting. Uh, but you know, I think it's, uh, you know, in a race it's, it, it wouldn't work. It's ridiculous. It, it, it wouldn't work. It just would not work. And, I mean, uh, it's hard enough for the jockeys to make up their mind, let alone having a trainer in their ear. It, well, it's hard enough to get a trainer's instructions before a race and try and follow <laughs> them, uh, let alone be in a race and have a trainer barking down your, down your ear. Gee, uh, yeah, c- couldn't happen. 
Could oh, not happen. I uh, I saw one wag on uh, social media say, well, "What will Chris Wall have to talk to about six jockeys each race?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, that's a good point, isn't it? it uh, <laughs> I I couldn't think of anything worse actually. Than, no. Uh, than, yeah, when you're getting uh, the trainer bark down the phone when you're uh, at the 800 meter mark, you've yeah. screwed that up. Yeah, get out. How are you going to get out of this? Get out. Get out. What? <laughs> How? <laughs> All right, racing in Queensland. Uh, of course, we raced at Rockhampton this afternoon, but tomorrow our main meeting is at Doombin. We also race at Aquas Park uh, Gold Coast on the Poly Track. Uh, we'll race at Mackay, and we'll also race uh, in the Twilight Zone tomorrow at Toowoomba. Looking forward to that. Make sure you tune into the Darling Download tomorrow morning with Sammy and myself. At what time, Sammy? I reckon 7am. 7. 7am yeah, Queensland seven. time, and you'll get all the mail from uh, the Toowoomba for the Toowoomba meeting. Uh, tomorrow night. There's also meetings at Atherton, Blackall, Gundawindi and Mount Isa. And of course, he race at the Sunshine Coast on uh, on Sunday. There's a meeting at Thangool on Monday. A tab meeting. Is, oh, yeah. It's a tab meeting, is it? Yeah, well, I'm I, the form for Cam that. Luke uh, uh, swapped with me for me to uh, work on Tuesday as opposed to Monday, my standard Mondays. And uh, I see there was a meeting at Thangool. I yeah. didn't know if it was a tab meeting. Or tab meeting. So I've got to do the form, so I'll send you a few tips. Oh, wow. If you're uh, short on time. I'm rocking the suburbs. It's just like Michael Jackson did. I'm rocking the suburbs. You said that he was talented. I'm rocking the suburbs. Now, Sammy, as mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to catch up right now with David Raphael. And you know how much I've been looking forward to uh, catching up with David because I get to play some old race calls and I like nothing better than playing old race calls. David, good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, Chris, Sam. Hope all is well up there. Yeah, always well in uh, in sunny Queensland, David. Uh, always well. How do we find you on this uh, Friday afternoon? You're in Sydney now? Yeah, Sydney's the base. Has been for a while now. Um, moved from Hong Kong, but originally Melbourne, went to Hong Kong for a bit. And yeah, it's been in Sydney for course, nearly 10 years now. We were travelling around quite a bit and back and forward and all of that. And racing took us all over the world for a long time. So it's, it's nice to be in a base for a while. We've been here for a few years now. It certainly did. I mean, uh, going back through some of uh, your race calls, you, you certainly did travel all around the world. But before we get to that, let's go right back. 1988 was when you started at 3UZ in Melbourne. Yeah, I, I was a, as a young kid, I got a gig. Well, not even a gig. I helped a, a, fellow, uh, a fellow combatant. It was pretty ordinary calling the trials at Cranbourne Trotting Trials, the harness racing trials. That's where I got to start. I was about 14 or 15. And he'd call them. And he had no idea what it was, and I'd point at the bit of paper, and he'd say, Fred's in front, and I'd point at the second horse when he's trying to figure it out. <laughs> Harry's second, and George's third. Finally, he said, you better have a go. So that's how it all started. I, I don't know how I picked up the bug, but I just wanted to be a race caller from that moment onwards, and was worked with horses on weekends, and that's where it really all began from. So prior to that, you didn't have any dreams of being a race caller? No, I mean, that was about 14 or 15. Um, that's, you know, the bug hit me pretty quick, and... Luckily, through contacts, just got a gig at three years ed because I went from calling barrier trials to got a few picnic meetings and restricted meetings and mainly harness racing. Well, actually, just harness racing at the start as a you know, 15, 16 year old. I think I called my first actual meeting when I was about 16. 
and um, the squeaky voice somehow survived and got a gig carrying the bags with Brian Martin and doing everything at 3UZ as it was then. And um, that was back in about 86. I was just turned 18. And it was a great groundy because in those days, you got to do everything. When you worked in a radio station in the old days, you were editing, you were carrying bags, you were working in the studios, you were producing, you were doing a bit of panel work, reading totes. You, you got to learn everything. A bit of time in the newsroom and even the way you used to edit up tapes, it was an old, we had a six track reel to reel tape and if somebody took a breath, you'd just get the tape out and you'd cut it off and stick it back together. And I mean, it was, it was almost archaic, but it was amazing. It's, now you look at computer screens and push a button and audio plays, whereas in the old days we had to put a cassette in and push play and if it spooled, we'd give it a bang on the top and you know, you'd hope that it'd play the commercial that somebody had paid a fortune for. It's, it's, it was great grounding and it, learned, it really taught you how to do everything live. And Dave, I, you know, uh, 3Z was, uh, it was such a big thing back then, wasn't it? That, that radio station, well, like, you know, I, I mean, I grew up with it sort of, uh, well, every time you got in the car, it was on or it was on at home. It was, you know, it, it was just, yeah, it was part of life. And, and it was, I guess the, um, you know, the rock stars that were part of that, um, that, that radio station way back then, they were, you know, they were key figures in horse racing, weren't they? Well, they were key figures in horse racing, but also in sport and media. We were at our age then, Sam, you know, if you're a little bit younger than me, but at our age then, not by much, I might add. Three years, it was, I mean, there was 3DB and three years, and they, it was the greater because it was the number one station. And you go back 20 years before, when the Beatles came to Australia, I used to work with a guy called John Vertigan, who a lot of people will remember and know. And, JV used to talk about how they followed the Beatles around the country and it was the whole country listened to the network and it was great at 3UZ in Victoria that everybody was listening to and it just held its place. There was only three or four TV stations that people would watch and radio was king and if you wanted to know something, you turned on the radio and you knew immediately and, and the people that were on radio in those days, they were household names and we go sort of 10, 15 years later when we came along, we had a little... We just held on to that little bit of history and it still had a lot of power and eminence around it. And as things changed and cable came in and you know, so much happened, it's been diluted. You know, once upon a time to talk on radio, it was a very, very special thing to do, whereas now there's a million stations we can all log into around the world. So it's, it's lost that audience volume, but it's still got that special live element about it. So, so, uh, so I, I guess... Um, uh going on from that and and when you started race calling uh i think my uh you know my, I, when when chris nelson told me that david rafael was coming on i was thinking my earliest memories of of david rafael calling was uh how's this one like you will not remember it but uh i remember it and it was the inside track at sale i do not know i i have since that day i left that that race course I do not know that they've ever raced on the inside track at sale ever again. I, you know, so it was, it was like their trial track and for whatever reason, you know how they used to have those non tabs, you know, Stony Creek band style to yeah. and, and, and that sale, it was the inside track and you called the meeting and, and I was thinking where, like, you know, I, like I'm going to say I was, I reckon I was still an apprentice and, uh, 
I never forget this. You called uh, this horse called you Potty Pon Pon, right? Heather <laughs> oh, I Steve. remember the horse. He- oh, my God. Well, there you go. Like, isn't, isn't it amazing? Things that stick in your head, right? And and, and I, here I am. I'm thinking, I remember David Rafael calling a race meeting on the inside track at sale. Like, it's it's crazy things. But, it, you know, it was, it's, it was a long time ago now, wasn't it? You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're... T- we, we're- we're going back too far. Hey, do me a favour. I'm hanging up if you call me a shocking call. I'll do you a favour. We'll go forward instead of back. <laughs> so in, in 1997, you landed the gig to call in Hong Kong. Now, how did you land that role? So I'd been working at, you said it was my first job. Well, I'd had a few jobs in harness stables and stuff to helping out and learning to do horses. As a kid, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be Brian Gath, a champion trotting driver, and then the race calling came along. <laughs> And I got a job at UZ and I worked there for umpteen years and called the trots and the dogs and they then got onto the gallop, started learned how to call the gallops really while I was doing it. Um, there was a basically a job came up to become the number two caller with Terry Spargo in Hong Kong. And then that all sort of catapulted pretty quickly. It was, you know, come at the end of the middle of the year, which was the end of their season. And they said, well, if you want to turn up sooner rather than later, you can. And I was... I was like I saw an opportunity and I just jumped and grabbed it. I mean, I was I was down the the rung. I was the number two caller for the trots and getting a few gallops meetings here and there and calling a lot of greyhounds and doing a lot of different stuff. But an opportunity like that came to jump on a plane and hop on the other side of the world as such. You, you said yes when something comes up like that, you grab it. And you really did become the voice of the Hong Kong racing. I mean, I can think of so many good races and so many good race calls, and they were all from you. I mean, you really did. Um, dominate in that 10 years you were there? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy I'm remembered, but there was a lot of great soundtracks that I was a part of. Uh, when I went there, Hong Kong and the coverage had a lot of vision to become bigger and grander. Mm. And people knew about Hong Kong, but they didn't really know that much about it because you couldn't really watch that much of it. And when I went there, they, they were changing the landscape and broadcasting to different parts of the world. And they started broadcasting to Australia the big day. So all of a sudden, what seemed to be a bit of a mythical place was there on the screens in front of you. And the product looks really great. I mean, at Happy Valley, they're not great horses, but it looks really yeah. good. Yeah. And the big days, the good horses are as good as. And I know we just called a few races and got it right, thankfully. And I remember when it first came on our screens here, and I think, well, I haven't seen this place before, Chartin. It just reminded me, I'm watching a race in Sydney. Look, where, where, where's this been yeah. all this time? And it looked like I was watching a race out of Randwick or Rose Hill. And in those days, international racing wasn't the big thing that it is now. I mean, now yeah. you can turn, the, turn on the TV and you, you see them from everywhere. It's, it's, it's amazing where you can watch races from. But it wasn't like that then, so it was pretty special. And you knew the names and the big names were going and then the legends grew and the money and, and all of that that we all heard about, it was right there in front of you. Now, speaking of legends, the first one that uh, you might have come across was, uh, was Silent Witness. Now, he made his uh, debut on Boxing Day back in, in 2002, uh, he won his next 16 starts after he won that. So he was 17, uh, 17 wins before he got beaten, which we get, which we'll get to. But one of his highlights was uh, the 2003 Hong Kong Sprint or the International Sprint. Uh, let's see how he went that day. Stand by. And away they go. Silent Witness jumped well. The Tatling got a little bump. Cheerful Fortune parks off the fave. 
behind it. The trader is last. They wind up National Currency in front. Silent Witness has got to find his heart and come after the South African sprinting sensation. It's National Currency in front. Silent Witness digs in. Firebolt comes on. Cape of Good Hope staying hard. South Africa, here they roar. But the best in the world runs to him, goes by him. Silent Witness draws a length in front of National Currency. Silent Witness, what a champion, wins at a length the National Currency. Was that the day that he really put himself on the map? Oh, he, to all of us, he'd put himself on the map from his second or third start. He was just this big, powerful speedball. And looking at him as a horse, he had a sprinter's frame about him, but everything he did, it, did, it was he needs more ground. Yep. And I think it was one of the great training efforts for Tony to, to, to contain him back in distance because, yes, he was so good at 1,012, but he there's no doubt he was always a seven furlong, 1,600 metre, had that sort of potential about him, but they kept him back. And he just used to brain everything in Hong Kong. And he'd run the times, and he had this high cruising speed. And it was very black caviar style, just run to the front and he'd run the times, like Winks used to just run incredible times. That's what he used to do. And those he won he won that race a couple of times and, and that year national currency he was this boom horse from South Africa when they were just starting to explore you know racing outside their own regions and he was very much the same he was this high speedball horse he was a little thing narrow and you know he, he was an, he was a very good horse but he, he looked compared to Silent Witness he looked like a little wimp of a thing <laughs> sort of like Sam in his old days at the nightclubs <laughs> <against the six-foot laughs> <folks. laughs> he's still doing but those he could rounds run, too. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never that. Now he, but he, he could also, run and, and I was going to say he also won in two thousand and four. Backed it up. Yeah, yeah, he won back to back. And you think about the horses he beat, like the Tatling was a good sprinter in England. Uh, Cape of Good Hope. You'd remember he came to Australia and he won at the William Reed. And they actually forced the owners to run that horse in Australia and bring him back to Hong Kong and run him a week later in a big race in Hong Kong. And he still ran third or fourth. I mean, it. it the horses that the, the raced internationally then, there was five or six melting pots each year that were like a grand final, and horses came from all over the world to run in those races, whereas now they just select a target here and there. But yeah. once upon a time, and it's not that long ago, they were grand finals three or four times a year of the best clashing against each other on the biggest days, and that's what that race was. Well, in 2005, he was going for 18 straight wins, and he tackled the, uh, the champion's mile. Bowman's crossing, British Luck going for inside, runs Dalzeo behind him. Side of Witness cuddled at, at the 400, leads from the Duke, who's dower. Cosmo Bog off the bridle, Tiber switches out, attraction needs room, can't kick. Next, British Luck coming to the inside, Side of Witness, he's cuddling at it. British Luck coming through, will sneak late. Eight here coming on from the Duke, right there also, trying to battle it out, Super Kid. He has to ask Side of Witness, he lifts, here comes British Luck, comes to run him down. The crowd roar, the roof of the grandstand rattles. Luck draws up, beats the champion. Bullish Luck beats Silent Witness. Ain't he a third? What was the feeling like after he got beaten that day? Uh, I think the wind was taken out of everybody. But yeah. but to all of us on the on the sort of involved inside, Bullish Luck, I think he went around or $18 or $19 that day. It really should have been five to four one, five to two the other because Bullish Luck was always a big chance to beat him. But then the story goes on afterwards. The instructions from Tony Cruz, who trained both of them, Gerald Mosse rode uh, Bullish Luck, and Tony said, drop him back, pull him to the outside, and just let him get home. He'll, he'll get home as fast as he can. And, of course, Gerald, everybody pots him, but in big races he just does unbelievable things, and he got a slight bump at the start, which the horse was not quick out anyway. Bullish Luck, and he went to the inside, and he snuck up the inside, and he, I still remember it at the six five 600-metre mark. Super kids behind the leader following... 
the best horse in the world, Polish Lux three back the fence, and the rider, I think it was Glenn Schofield, it was. Glenn came one off the fence, I'm sure it was Super Kid, came off the fence, Bullish Luck slid up behind him, and then he was always going to get the run. So for 200 metres, it was just a matter of whether he could run the time. And every stride he took, he was getting closer and closer and closer. It was only the last bit he got him, but he was going to be there at the 200 metre mark. And when you watch just him, it all makes sense. And Everyone was in shock, but all of us, all the trainers and jockeys and, you know, all the people that worked, we weren't surprised. But the punters, well, he was unbeatable, Simon. How could anybody beat him? What was going on? So they were in shock for weeks. Yeah, it's just a massive anti-climax when something like that happens. <laughs> now, you caught a lot of, a lot of other uh, great duels uh, in your time in Hong Kong. Now, there wouldn't have been many better than the, uh, the 2000 Hong Kong mile, and it was Sunline versus the very... Sammy and I were saying earlier, the very apt Hong Kong named Fairy King Prawn. Uh, this this was a this was a real clash. You want to set this one up before we go to the audio? Oh, Fairy King Prawn, he was like the silent witness of Hong Kong. He he started out in unbelievable style. Ricky Yu trained him and Ivan Allen ended up getting him and whether he poached him or not, I suppose you could say he did because he was the best horse in Hong Kong and he was the first world-class horse in Hong Kong. He's probably one of the most important horses in Hong Kong's racing besides Silent Witness because he was the first to travel overseas and win a big mile race in Japan and he turned up that year into the mile with performances that were like out the back and stormed home and getting home in incredible times and he, he had to put up with Sunline who we knew was going to be a mile in front of him at the top of the straight and it was really his measuring stick and the whole weeks leading into it all of the big horses that were running the whole world was just talking about him fairy king prawn and her sunline and the clash that was going to be and it made world headlines in racing the, the, the media came from everywhere and it was it was like muhammad ali sort of feeling about the whole race well it didn't let us down Two lengths in front. Adam New Trump sticks on. Here comes Fairy King Prawn. It's Sunlight in front. Fairy King Prawn, the horse of Hong Kong, coming after the mayor of the world. 150 to go. Sunlight's a length in front. Fairy King Prawn trying to get him. Sunlight, the Kiwi pulling out stuff. Fairy King Prawn lifts. They come to the line. Fairy King Prawn dives, but he missed. Sunlight, the mayor of the world, wins it from Fairy King Prawn. She just held on and they gapped the rest. Yeah, it's the best losing performance I've ever seen, and she was just unbelievable. She got a breather in front, and Adam just let her be alone for about 150, 200 metres, and she, she ran a 25 split, which just doesn't happen at that level. You don't get away with things like that, and she was able to... Well, she wasn't able to hold on. She ran a time. She ran a great race, but, a, you know, a, a true champion almost beat another true champion. It was just one of those amazing clashes. Now, uh, even though you were calling in Hong Kong between 97 and 2007, you also did some work for um, Emirates World Racing Championships, 98 to 2002, and that enabled you to call some uh, terrific races around the world. Now, when I asked you one of your favourites, you mentioned it was the 2000 uh, Japan Cup. Out by Agnes Flight comes on, it's anybody's race. 400 metres to go, stay gold in front. He's had a dream run and he was able to get a length. John's call second, Matakani Kinohaji sticking on in third. Pichadotu continues to stay on. TMR Royals asked the effort, but he's got two lengths to make up. And here comes Fantastic Light. This is for the Emirates table. Pichadotu hit the front. TMR Pro, the Japanese legend, runs to them. Fantastic Light trying to get him. TMR Pro, the crowd roars. Their champion wins it by a head in a thrilling finish. Fantastic Light may be second from Pichadotu either way. Another Athena at a game race in. TM Op- Opera O. 
Oh, it was an amazing horse. People don't understand the clash that those two had. I mean, Meisho Ado and he, they, they ran all year. And in Japanese racing set on, on certain dates, certain races. They've only got five or six majors, unlike other countries. And the best horses run on those days. That's what they target for. And they ran all year. And it didn't matter where TM Opera, he got held up. He was in front. He was behind. Whatever happened, he beat the other horse by a neck to a half length every time on his merits. And the word was that he wasn't at his best. And when he walked out that day, he looked rough in the coat. He looked plain. He looked average. He really looked average. And he was the you know dollar fifty favourite or something like that. And when you got a pool of thirty million US dollars, that's that's a lot of money wagered on him. And they lined up again, and he probably shouldn't have won that race, but he did. And that day, he became the highest um, prize money winning thoroughbred in the world. It was one of those iconic moments in sport, and it was. Because I was so engrossed in the international racing at that point, travelling all over, he, he was just that very special horse. But the rest of the world didn't really understand how important those two horses clashing were. And it was, again, it was just a, a memorable race. And I see Japanese friends again, and they keep talking about that horse and that race. That was an amazing day. So, Dave, I'll tell you what, uh, there was amazing passion in your voice when, yeah. when you uh, call a race. And uh, something that... Uh, I, 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 it was always noticeable to me, you know, you, you could tell that you, you just loved race calling. Do you miss it? Uh, I'm, I'm, I did for a while, but I miss the storytelling actually. Getting involved with the, the Emirates stuff and the BBC and Sunset and Vine and doing all that stuff with the, those, it was making the stories. And then when you spend all that time making the story, then at that moment that the race happens, I think that just builds through. And you know that, Sam, when you were doing your Melbourne Cup stuff, you're, you're living it all month, leading in all week, and then at that moment, you, how can you not be passionate about it? Yeah. Because if you like the game, it's, it becomes a part of you. So speaking of stories, this is the race call, uh, uh, as I said, is one of my favourites, if not one of, if not my favourite. Let's set up before, before we play it. The 2001 Irish Champion Stakes, the unbeaten Galileo, and fantastic light. I mean, we're talking about a couple of decent horses there. <laughs> oh, yeah, this this was a clash. And remember, they—I don't know if a lot of people are aware—but they'd they'd run previously uh, at the uh, Prince of Wales at, at Ascot. Um, it was it Prince of Wales or King George? No, it was King George. Sorry, they'd run at the King George. And of course, Fantastic Lights, the older horse, Galileo's a three-year-old, so he had the weight advantage. And they put Galileo in front of Fantastic Light that day at Ascot, and he was able to hold him off. Galileo ran up, beat him, you know, ran up to be beaten by Fantastic Light. He looked him in the eye, and that seven-pound, he, he held him off. So the whole thing about that race in Ireland, it was going to be the same and same again. And Frankie tells this amazing story. Sheikh Mohammed sat him down, and he said, it doesn't matter what you do, you will be in front of that horse at the start, which was riding fantastic light completely outside his comfort zone. He said, if you don't ride him that way, you won't be coming home. Sure enough, the gates open and Frankie listened. <laughs> and we had a pacemaker in that race. He got a fair way in front, but his uh, his number was up on the home turn. On the yeah, corner, he's pushed out in front. Ice dancer at the 600, leads by eight lengths. Next is Give the Slip. Now Galileo sliding up outside. Fantastic light. They're going to have to push on together. Fantastic light's gone to the inside. Galileo's gone to the outside. They run the corner. Ice dancer's in front, but he's off the bridle. Fantastic light's trying to cut
Well, it sounded good on audio, but I can tell you it's even better watching it as well. Oh, it's it's the best duel because from about the 400 at the top of the straight, and it's a great track at Leopardstown. It's a flat track, and they just went stride for stride in sync, and Galileo came to beat him. As I say, the tactical decision was brilliant because Galileo was getting left in front and or in front of his major opponent and getting an easier time of it, and this day they made Galileo you know, really work up and pull the pressure on from the 400 and make him do the work instead of letting him have the time in front, and it just showed what a good horse Fantastic Live was. And the look at the stallion that he's turned into beat Galileo. is unbelievable. Even though he hasn't worked to the same level in Australia, he's been the most dominant stallion that's been around for so many decades. It's extraordinary the horse he was. David, tough question to uh, to round us out, but your most favourite race call, the one that means more to you than any other, would it be TM Opera Oak? Um, I don't know if I've got a favourite, actually. That's that's a good question. I, I don't. I, yeah, TM Opera is a favourite. I like Vengeance of Rain. London News was pretty special to me as well when I first went to Hong Kong. He was the first South African horse to ever... He was the first South African sportsman of any sort to step outside South Africa from apartheid region, and he turned up in Hong Kong. I'd been there a couple of weeks, and he won the QE2 Cup, and that race, that, that was a pretty memorable race because it was my first big race, but... You know, to a, to a global audience. It's, I know, sometimes I've had a bet. I, I do remember one day at Sonata Trots, we backed the thing for $47 <laughs> and got the money. I remember that. You should, I would have hunted down the video or the audio for that if I could have. <laughs> no, it's, I, uh... I, I, I mentioned, uh, I said it uh, to Cam Luke on uh, SEN Track a couple of weeks ago about, um, remember Brian Blackmore when it, when <laughs> when he'd have his money on one and, you know, like... Tickets and, confetti. And, and he would dead set, and like he could roast the jockey, like and and you could tell that he was, you could tell that he's uh he's had his last on this, and you could just tell in the call, couldn't you? He was, uh, he was savage sometimes. Oh, it, it, it stated as it was. I used to go around with Brian. Blake. I still did my apprenticeship with Brian and so many of those callers. He would call a race. He'd put there'd be eighteen two-year-olds. It'd be the first race. He'd learn the colours going down at the start, and then he'd tuck the race book in his back pocket. So he'd, he'd just go purely off memory. And one would be stuck three wide, and if he couldn't find it, he'd be fiddling for the, the race without <laughs> and look at it like that bit. And then at the 200-metre mark, if it was the leg of the quaddy, the, the favourite would be steaming down the outside, but then a bolter would appear, and his quaddy ticket would come out of his pocket at the 100, and he'd look at it, and he'd throw it out the window. <laughs> And he'd actually say it. Quaddy tickets out the window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great characters. Caller. David, uh, I'm sure we could go for another half an hour here quite easily, but we've got to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been great chatting to you. I knew it would be, Sammy. I knew it would be. Uh, as I said, we could go on forever, but uh, look, some great calls. Just pulling out five. I'm, pro- I'm sure there's probably 500 or more that we could have pulled out, David. You did a fantastic job, and uh, I'm disappointed you're not calling these days, to be honest. Oh, thank you for remembering. But uh, we still get around them at the track and the trials and the, and the, the sales, more importantly. I've gone into a bit of bloodstock business. We're buying and trading a few horses. So we've kicked a couple of goals. Well, if you... Breeders, Rubik and Pelter, they're going okay. They are. <laughs> they certainly are. And if you get up to Queensland, let us know and come into the studio and join us on the show one day. It'll be great. Well, we are deciding to venture north very soon, so we might become neighbours. Oh, that'd be good. Excellent. We'll look forward to it. Yeah, Thanks, David. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks Good on you. Yeah, Thanks Dave. for your time. No, it was great. Great chat catching up with uh, with David Rafael. Now, remember, Queensland is your place to race this year. The action continues this week right across the Sunshine State. Visit racingqueensland.com.au. Time for a break, Sammy. This is the Punters, mate, on SEN. 
Sammy, great to catch up with uh, David Rafael, wasn't it? Some really good race calls from the past there. Fantastic race caller. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely missed. Missed on the airwaves. All right. From a champion race caller to a champion trainer. Tony Golan, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Where do we find you on this uh, Friday afternoon, Tony? I'm, I'm tipping it might be Sydney. Yeah, yeah, you do. You find me in Sydney. I came down here late last night. Um, Philly settled in really well. Seen a work around Randwick this morning, bright and early, and she's in, she's in really good shape. So we're, we're looking forward to tomorrow. All right, now before we get to skirt the law, Zoo Style goes around in the Oakley Plate at uh, Sandown tomorrow. He couldn't have, couldn't have uh, got dealt a worse gate, gate 20 before any scratchings. <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, well, they know I'm a visitor, so that the visitor's draw, I'd say. It's the best I can put it down to, really. But in fairness, I'm not I'm not going to read a whole a whole bunch into it. Look, maybe I will. <laughs> After the race has gone half a furlong or a furlong or something, I'll, I'll be you know, kicking stones. But at this point in time, I'm not. I can, I can only probably control what I can control, and that's his prep. It's It's been amazing. He got a real resilience about him last. Oh, I think we lost Tony there. We have. We'll try and get Tony back uh in a moment. Now, he's also got Skirt the Law, as you mentioned, Sam, in the uh, in the Sweet Embrace, race number six at uh, Ramwick tomorrow, which is a lead-up, of course, to the Golden Slipper. And Tony has said that uh, if she doesn't measure up, she might be coming home. Yeah, she'll measure up. She'll measure up, no worries. Uh, and I think we've got Tony back online, and uh, we might yeah. uh, touch straight on that. Tony, Skirt the Law, I dead set, I think she's an absolute jet. Uh and clearly, you're obviously happy going into the sweet embrace. Yeah, I am. She couldn't have done any more right, could she, in her prep at, um, at home in Queensland. Obviously, we were able to back off her. You guys seen her at the trials the other mm. day. She was only out there to stretch her legs, and, and she was she trialled a touch fresh, but she just did what she sort of wanted to do, which which we were okay with. She looked better for that. She has not missed an oat since. Her work Tuesday was really good before we come down here. And your dad said, wouldn't know. She's travelled looking at it today. She, she's very full on the flank. And, in fact, I've still got improvement in her if um, we're able to win, obviously, tomorrow and get our way to the slipper. I still think there's improvement to come. And that, that trial, I mean, the time she ran there was right up with the uh, the open-class horses, and she did it so easily. As I've said to you before, she just seems to, like, almost skate along the ground. Yeah, she's always had that beautiful action. I think if you go back, you know, to her first ever start where um, – she was about six or seven dollars, I think, because there was the odds on pop at Rob Heathcote's in it bounding. Um, her action was beautiful that day. It's only improved. She's one of those two-year-olds who just kept on improving, improving. I'm adamant that she's a better filly now than what we saw Magic Means Day. And I do feel for tomorrow's run that she'll be better again. So I don't think we're near the ceiling of it yet. Most two-year-olds are like that, too, to be fair. There's, you don't know where the ceiling is at, but I definitely don't know where hers is yet. I remember Sammy asking Tony uh, a while back. This is, must have been last year, saying, "Well, where are all the two, where are all your two-year-olds? Why haven't you got any two-year-olds?" And, he, and Tony said, "No, nah, we'll just let Les Ross win all these uh, races. Then we'll come to the fore when we need to." And the skirt the law hadn't even been heard of at that stage, so you were bang on there, and uh, you proved you proved yourself a hundred percent right. Just a couple of uh, runners at Doombin tomorrow. I wanted to touch on uh, Departy Gal first up. She's very good first up, and she's got a wide gate. We know she gets back anyway. Uh, she's only had the one trial. She had two trials last time. Do you think she's wound up? She's wound up enough. She's only off a lot shorter break this time. She only had a couple of weeks off, and then just started ticking her over again. I just wanted to leave that summer carnival out of the road for her. This is the right time for her. Yep. Her chances would be enhanced if we were to get a wet track. She'll need a hell of a ride from here. She'll have to go through them and you know, get through a bit of traffic. But like you said, she's got a good finish on her. We just need a bit of luck in running. 
And can you give us some idea about this Tenzing in race number eight, this uh, former Kiwi? Only had six starts, won two of them. Hasn't raced for a couple of months, and I don't see any trials or official trials there. The last race on, on uh, you know, Christmas Eve, I think it was, he came across here to Australia after he was purchased. I give him a good 1,000-metre jump out. He went very, very well in that. I think he won, and if he didn't win it, he was a second, um, which, is, which is pretty good considering he's going to get out a lot further. He's also really like... Um, Dooman might be a bit tricky for him off that gate. He'll be a bit like um, the party girl. He'll be back in that second half of the field. And she's going to have to ride a bit of a race on him, Ange. But he's, he's a very impressive horse. He's certainly destined for much better races than what he's in tomorrow. That's one thing I do know. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on both of those. Uh, Tony, best of luck uh, tomorrow, certainly with uh, Skirt the Law and, and Zoo Style, hoping for a bit of luck there. And, yeah, onwards and upwards towards the Golden Slipper. Hey, Sammy. That's it. Tony, all the best. We'll catch, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, guys. Fingers crossed Thanks. tomorrow. Cheers. Thanks, Tony. Cheers. Tony Golan joining us there, as he often does on the show, Sammy. Great to talk to Tony Golan, as always, Sammy. Now it's time to talk to Matty Hoisted, one half of the Steve O'Day at Matty Hoisted Training Establishment. Tell you what, they're going from winner to winner and they've got some really big hopes tomorrow down south. Uncommon James and shooting for gold go around in the Oakley Plate. Matty, good morning. Or good afternoon. Sorry to you. Good afternoon, guys. Matty, are you happy with uh, with those horses, Uncommon James and, and shooting for gold uh, in the Oakley Plate? Yeah, look, I don't think they could be going much better. Uh, look, Uncommon James was was pretty big, uh, pulled up quite big on the back of that run, and and even look, even just this week, he's just improved out of sight, physic, like physically, just his coat. He's got dapples popping right out of him. Uh, he's tightened up a hell of a lot from that first up run. So, look, couldn't be any happier with the way that he's going to present. Uh, look, obviously we. Been given a bit of the visitors' draw there, uh, but obviously, you know, with the new shoot or being the 1100 meter using the 1000 meter shoot, it's only you know one turn, so hopefully it won't be as important. And uh, look, if if we can see him get a little bit of cover, just so he's not exposed as he was first up. Um, yeah, I think he's he's uh, with half a bit of luck, he can be right in the finish here. And um, yeah, look, shooting for gold super. He had a tick over jump out uh, the other week. He was ultra impressive there, beating Mark's Crusade. He's fit, he's well. Uh, very happy with him. He's going to get a beautiful running trance just in behind the speed, sort of potentially midfield. And look, I think he's definitely over. I think his best is, is you know, right up to be running a really good race with only 52 and a half on his back. And he's just going to need need a little bit of luck at the right time. Now, Doombin tomorrow, uh, Matt, you've got some really good runners there. A couple I wanted to ask you about. Firstly, one I've tipped, and I've tipped a maiden in a three-year-old handicap, and it's polarising. I just have a gut feel that this horse is smart. Yeah, she definitely is. Look, obviously, a little bit um, out of character for us, sort of throwing her right in the deep end. She's the cutest filly. There just wasn't really anything suitable uh, for cutest money. She's one that we've always had a really good opinion of. You know, she, she's gone super there. Uh, first up, she's derived a lot of fitness improvement, and even just from the outing, she got herself a little bit buzzed up early. So hopefully with that bit of freshness out of her, we can see her parade a lot better. Um, and look, obviously, with, with not much weight on her back, uh, you know, she's she's going to get every every sort of possible. And, you know, she's, she's just one of those that's going to continue to keep improving. But I've got a really nice opinion of. Now, when I did the uh, the reviews from the Eagle Farm meeting a midweek or a couple of weeks ago, uh, one horse stood out to me was an outstanding run, and it was Santiro, first run for you, ex-Victorian. Uh, that race in no way known could Santiro win the way it was run mathematically, but the sectionals home were outstanding. Up to 1,600 metres tomorrow is my best of the day. Can you give me a leg up? 
<laughs> yeah, hopefully. Look, she's she's not really one that um gives you gives you too much of a guide at home. She's a bit of a no no frills sort of mare. She settled in perfectly. She she just eats. She does her work. She's she's not a flash track worker, but you can work with something good and she'll work with it. You can work with something that's sort of only a bit plain and she'll just work plain. She she just does what she sort of needs to be doing. Um, so, you know, it was her first time under under pressure when we took her to Deegan in a trial. I thought she went super behind Uncommon James there and then backed that up with, as you said, a really good performance. Uh, you know, up to the mile really should suit. Hopefully we can see her step a bit better and from a better gate be hopefully be able to posse up somewhere midfield and not have as much sort of ground to make up. And, um, you know, on her show, we've probably got to replicate that run to be to be pretty hard to beat in a race like this. Can buying time bounce back in race six? Yeah, I hope so. I think just a key, obviously not much really went right there. Don't think he's a really Eagle Farm horse. If you sort of watch him, even watch his action, he, he really doesn't change leads until sort of late. And when he does, he looks quite awkward in his action. Uh, I think he just didn't really appreciate the, the firmness of that track. So he's had a had a little week's freshen on the back of that and come back three weeks between runs works from a good alley, no weight on his back. He, he'll be up a lot closer than he was last start and hopefully back to doom and we can see him sort of back to his dynamic best. Last question. You've got two really nice types going around in the uh, the Class 6 plate. Fetch resumes and Stella Magic is second up. I thought Stella Magic was uh, really good first up, but always tough coming from the back. Uh, your take on those two? Uh, yeah, I've got three, actually. Have hold on oh, you've got Hold on Honey as well. As well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really hard to, to split them. Hold on, Honey's done nothing wrong since since coming up here. He's been really ultra impressive. Uh, just he's got really good gate speed, so hopefully he can take care of that that little bit of a sticky gate early. Um, but he's going really well off a little bit of a freshen. As you said, Stella Magic was fantastic. She's just from a tricky gate, going to have to go back and fetch. Hopefully, he can get the run of the race just in behind the speed. They're sort of hard to split. Fetch obviously, uh, you know, just has that tendency to probably want to do do a fair bit wrong, whereas. Um, no, hold on, Hunt. If he bounces, can put himself there with with sort of doing no work. I think he'll give a give a pretty good kick. Um, and you know, it'll be hard for those girls to be chasing him down. But if, if the tempo's on and they they overdo it in front, um, I think they can be charging late. They're, they're sort of hard to split. The three or three have really nice chances. I have got one more question for you. Gap year goes around on Sunday. Now, didn't do a lot for my reputation last start, Gap year, but I, I think there was excuses there. Probably up on the speed outside the lead. Uh, exposed didn't help. And that was a very, very oppressively humid night at the Sunshine Coast. So can we forgive that run? Yeah, hope so. Uh, obviously was was quite disappointing. Uh, definitely never envisioned her being up outside leads. They were sort of carving out pretty pretty decent sectionals the whole way up, up the back straight. And as you said, that's just not her go. So look, she'll definitely be, be getting ridden a bit more conservatively on Sunday. Uh, and it's probably we get a bit of a guide. Uh, you know, look, is she is she better tempo on at fourteen hundred, or you know, as her breeding suggests, her getting out over a trip is that going to be her go? So we, we find out trying her over eighteen hundred, and hopefully, if she can she can run that out strong. Look, at her best, she's she should be hard to beat in a race like that, as long as she can sort of switch off and and uh, finish off. All righty, thanks, Maddie. Really appreciate your time this afternoon. Best of luck at Sandown tomorrow and at Doombin, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you very shortly. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Maddie Hoisted joining us there as he often does, Sam. On the Gold Coast, in the sunshine, a holiday paradise. Now, Sammy, because we've waffled on too long uh, on today's show, the chat with David Rafael probably went over, but I make no apologies for that. We've had to uh, get Gibbo to message in his tips because we haven't got time to put them all to air, but I can tell you what they are. Gold Coast race three, number five. Wow, it's Willy Wonka 
is his best, oh, no, one of his best, and also race six, number 12, Sarah Gala. So Gold Coast, three, five, and six, 12. And Brisbane, he likes race three, number 11, IPO. And race five, number nine, Santero, which I'm very glad to hear. The, uh, I was going to say something, but I won't. So Santero, his best also, or one of his best, which is good. Now, what's your best bet for tomorrow? Right, Doombin, race one, number two, Felix the Scat. Well, uh, this trialed really well. And I think 13.50, first up, this will be its go. Well, I can't see how race one number one Adelaide can get beaten. Oh, I reckon wow. the rest of them are just, uh, well, Felix should be Felix the cat, and they're all cats because I reckon Adelaide will be way too good. Was strong at uh, Ipswich late at the end of 1,200 by Adelaide, bred to get further, as we know. So 13.50 is ideal. So I like race one number one. As I mentioned, though, I do like race five. Number nine, Santiro for O'Day Hoisted. And Jimmy Orman, who doesn't ride a lot for that uh, stable, so that's a good positive pointer there, Sam. Okay. Jimmy Orman riding um, riding Santero, race five, number nine, and a bit of each way, race nine, number two, Cepheus. Rightio. Who was good first up uh, two weeks ago, running on from the back of the field. You got anything else? You fancy anything in uh, Sandown? I like Barber. Uh, I Do like you? Barber. Yeah, I think uh, watched its gallop at Sandown during the week, and gee, it looks sharp. Jamie Carr. Yeah, I'm going to go with Barber. Well, I'll take you on there also. I'll go with Little Bros. Okay. Number f- who ran second to Barber at Sandown in the uh, in the trial or the prelude a couple of weeks ago. So Little Bros to me, your favourite horses, uh, Animo and Alligator Blood, can they win? Uh, Animo, yeah, he can win. Not Alligator Blood, no. maybe. Sammy, thank you for this afternoon. Appreciate your time as always. Uh, thank you to our guests, to all the punters out there. Hope you have a winning weekend and we'll catch you same time, same place next Friday afternoon on the Pundas Mate on SEN Track. Come on. It's on, pop that top, like it ice cold, drop it if it's hot. New York City down a little rock, I said everybody grab a beer. Let's dance, I'm ready to play, cause nothing feels better.